Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Alrighty, while uh, they're taking up the offering, if the kids would like to go ahead and step out, I'm going to pray before we do anything else. I actually have two introductions to do today. Which one should I do? Introduction number one or introduction number two? (laughs) Three, okay. I'll go three, okay, let's do three. Um, I'm not actually joking, I've got two introductions here. I had a first introduction, I scrapped it. I have a second introduction. And uh, I think the only way to understand why I have two introductions um, is captured with this thought that in this new series, we're starting a new series, and I don't have a title for it yet. Okay? Don't have a title for it yet. In fact, I want you to think about today's message. You know how sometimes you, you jump into a book, and before you read the book, there's the preface? Okay? That's what I want you to think about this. So this is like pre-new series. Okay? I'm praying that God gives me a, a nice title for this as I jump into this new series. But this is kind of like the pre preliminary to this new series, okay? Um, we are going to be in a passage of Scripture, focus on one particular one, First, First Peter. So even though you guys know I have it up on the slides, I'd like you to open your Bibles if you have your Bibles with you today. I hope you do. Um, and uh, look at First Peter chapter 1. And let's see if I can turn in my Bible while I'm talking at the same time. I don't think I can. There we go. Alright, so 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll talk about this in just a second. I'll do introduction number 2. Okay, I've already started it. New series, don't have a title yet. Think of this as the preface to that new series. What's spurred this new series is very much rooted in something that I've noticed. I feel, it's not a good word, I believe... There are some issues that are confronting, not, when I, okay, so I'm going to say the church, and when I say the church, I'm not just talking about Edgewood, I'm talking about the church at large, right? So the church, the body of Christ, Christians across, now the church in America would be specifically things that are addressing us in these days, and so I've been a pastor now for 10 years, Right? And so there's some things that I've noticed that I feel like are confronting our church, the church, okay? And because of those things, I felt like, oh, I need to, I need to speak on this particular topic. Now, Charity knows I've been thinking about this and dwelling on this, and John actually knows as well because I've, I've, I've mentioned this to him as well. I've been thinking and chewing on this actually for quite some time, several months. Wouldn't it be, would you say, several months? I've been chewing on this. It just feels like something I'm, man, it's, it's there. But this is just the preface. Okay? So now, in order to deal, and the reason why the preface is necessary is because I realized this last week, in order to deal with that issue, there's something else that needs to be dealt with first. And it's kind of a foundation. So before I say anything else, I'm going to pray. We're going to look at 1 Peter, and we're going to start to unfold just this passage. 
And there's this idea that I think is going to unfold as I look at this passage. And this is all going to set the stage, so to speak, lay the foundation for this series that I feel like we need to address from Scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I just ask now, in all genuineness, for your spirit to be poured out into this building, into our hearts. Lord, I ask for your spirit to guide and direct me as I speak this morning. Lord, we pray that the result, the end result of what happens right now would be that your word and your truth is lifted up and expressed and that we understand it and and grow and learn from it uh, today. Lord, that's our hope. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be here and present to accomplish that exact thing. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to go to verse 13, is where I'm going to start up here. But before I do, in fact, verse 13, if you look, starts with what's the very first word of verse 13 that you see up there? What's the very first word? Therefore. Therefore. Now, I've taught you guys, uh, when you see the word therefore, what should you do? Find out what it's there for. So that's why we're going to go back. So we're going to kind of look at verses 3 through 12. I'm just going to kind of read through them. There's going to be some ideas I just want you to listen for. I'm going to avoid preaching on verses 11 through 12 because as I, I'm sorry, verses 3 through 12 because I'm going to tell you right now, as I start to read them, I'm going to, I'm going to hear them and I'm going to go, oh man, I can talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. Okay. We're just getting some ideas. Okay. So can you help me? Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born. See, I'm already tempted. I want to preach on that. Just those words. Right? Caused us to be born again. Okay. Caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And pause there because I think you're, you're getting something really important. This, this whole thing, he's talking about the salvation of your souls. That's an important topic, is it not? Okay. Concerning this salvation, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now, let your mind think about that for a second. Concerning this salvation, so I know a lot of you in this room today would, would sit here and you'd say, I'm saved. Who would say that? I'm saved. Okay? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So hundreds, thousands of years ago, there were prophets prophesying about the grace that was going to be yours right now, today. Okay? 
um, who prophesied about the grace that was to be or searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or, or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ uh, and, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, there's a lot there, isn't there? Okay. This, we're talking about the salvation of your souls. Prophesied from ages past. Predicted. They searched for it. They were looking at it, trying to understand the, the, the sufferings of Christ that was going to happen in the future for them, for in the future for us. It's in the past. So, considering all these things, these things that just blow the mind, Peter even says, angels long to look into these things. Which, <clears throat> which is exactly where I struggle. Because when I start digging into these topics, I feel like the more I learn, the more there is to learn. And so, even in this thing right here, angels long to look into these ideas. But let's set that to the side for just a moment because we want to get to why the therefore is therefore. <clears throat> the salvation of your souls. The amazing reality of the fact that you, a sinner, can be saved. Peter then says this, therefore, and my computer just shut off, let me turn it back on here. He says, therefore, because of all that, because you can be saved, can I summarize? That, that seems like a weak summary, doesn't it? But we're going to have to go with that because I can't keep repeating all of those verses again and again every time. Because you're saved, because you can be. Therefore, because of that, this is what you ought to do. This is where we're going. Knowing that you're saved ought to spur you to do some things. This is getting at the very heart of what I feel is the issue that our church, the church at large, is struggling with. Our churches today, so many people that I know personally, because when they think about the salvation of their souls, they go, man, because I'm saved, I don't have to do anything. And there's some measure of truth to that because Jesus did it all. But you have to understand that the Bible very much says, because you're saved, you ought to. Resting in the fact that Jesus did it all ought not to make you go, ah. There's an element of that, that that's true, right? There's an element. I know that I don't have to save myself. And so there is an element of, ah, oh, I'm saved. Jesus did it. But the Bible very much again and again teaches that if you understand that, it ought to stir, provoke. There's all, I mean, there, I was overwhelmed this week by the number of directions I could have gone with this. The, the passages of Scripture, I could take all the rest of this time and just tell you the passages of Scripture I almost preached on today. I had to narrow it down, and it was not easy. Therefore, Peter says, though, and I, I, I partially chose Peter because Peter, he reminds me of us. Peter's just like a down-to-earth, okay? So he talks about these amazing things and things that angels even long to look into. 
And then he goes, because of that, therefore, here's the first thing he says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, okay, let's halt right there, Preparing your minds for action. The word prepare means to gird up the mind. The, actually, the word for action isn't in the Greek. It actually just says, gird up your mind. The for action helps us understand what that means. I don't want to go down the path. I thought about putting it up there just for Amanda. The, the girding up. Remember the outfit from, you know, okay, we're not going to do that. Where the Roman soldiers would gird up the loins, right? I'm not going to go through that mental picture again. Getting ready for action. But Peter says this. Because you know you're saved. And that amazing thing that goes along with it. The angels even go, mm, man, that's amazing. Because you know that's true. Number one, you ought to prepare, gird up your minds. This word gird up can also be translated to be watchful. We just talked about that last week. Be ready. I'm going to put it this way. Because the next word there, be, and being sober-minded, that, that word sober just means serious. And so I'm going to put it this way. Uh, it's preparing your minds and being sober-minded. There's, there's an element of in our Christianity, because you know you can be saved, there's an element, Peter says, that you need to get serious. Get your mind ready. Don't be lazy-minded. Don't be lackadaisical when it comes to this. Just because Jesus did it all, that ought not to stir you to go, Jesus did everything for me. He saved me. So I'm just going to watch TV the rest of my life. Is that how it ought to be? No. Peter says, because he did this, and because it's so amazing, and because angels are longing to look into it, number one, get serious. Prepare your minds. Wake up. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober. Be serious-minded. And the next thing that he says there is this. Set your hope. That, that, that literally means to fix. Um, I, I was reading through this. and it's this, The set your hope fully on the grace. Like when you're looking at the original text. The set your hope is actually just one word. It means to affix your hope. Like attach it on to something. But notice what it says to set your hope on. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's talking about when Jesus comes back. So you set your hope, so you get serious, wake up, and then you, your hopes, your dreams, what you're hoping for, what you're longing for, everything you're setting it on is the fact that you know Jesus is coming back and he's gonna, that grace will be completed in you. Now, because of what we just read at the first part of this, what this is talking about is there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and those of you that are saved, right, have been declared righteous before God, legally so justified, will be fully and completely made righteous. Who's longing for that day? When you'll be rid of sin... All sin out of your life. All those weaknesses, all those things that you have, all those the shortcomings, the failures, everything just, just gone. Made new. Not just, not just mentally, but spiritually, physically. The whole nine yards. The grace will be revealed. And 
Peter says, get serious. Wake up. Because you know that what Jesus has done, because you know about this, wake up, get serious. Set your hope on that. I put it down this way as hope eternal because I think so many times, and this is connected to why I think this might be an issue, so many of us, we, we have our hope set on such short-term goals. Right? Hoping about this and hoping about that. Hoping, and Peter says, set your hope ultimately. Affix it to the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's going to, make, he's going to do this whole thing. This thing that he started, like Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 1, he says, He who began this good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Right? There's going to be this, this work. Now, to get theological on you here for just a moment, um, theologians call this, and the Bible calls this sanctification. So you are, when you, the moment that you're saved, so here you are before in your sin, there comes this moment. I'm not going to talk too much about this right now, but this is what Peter was elaborating on. When you were saved, legally at that moment, the, the Bible uses the word justified. In Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about this with Abraham. He says, was not Abraham, Abraham our father? He was not justified by works, but he was justified, justified by faith. I'm talking really fast right now. I'm sorry. I'm excited. Right? He was declared righteous by faith just for believing in what God said he's going to do. The Bible word is justified. Legally, it's like God, as a judge, took the gavel, cracked it down, and said, righteous. We know and we dig into it that it's Jesus' righteousness that's been imputed. That's another Bible word been imputed to us, right? We get his righteousness. His sin goes on to, our sin goes on to Christ. He dies for that sin, takes the penalty. That's justification. But then... We get this next work, this sanctifying work. Now, this is going to be a really important word as we, we go through here. The word sanctification uh, is translated a lot of different ways. Sometimes you'll see the word sanctification when it's in the Bible. Sanctify means set apart. Sometimes it's translated holy. You heard that word holy before? Holy just means set apart. Sometimes we think of holy as like really really pure, and the word holy can be thought of that way because things that were set apart for, for religious or righteous uses were usually kept clean. And so we think of those things that way. But the Bible talks about how once this moment happens, there's something else that God begins to do. He begins to clean you. Okay? Now, let's come back to Peter because I'm going to get lost in this thought here. But this is the idea of sanctification. So come back to this. Peter says, because you know you're saved, he says, wake up, set your hope on what is eternal when God completes that work of sanctifying. And then he says this next. So there's the first two things right there that he says, prepare your minds, set your hope. That's what Peter says to do. You think about that, right? This is the first things he says to do. Next, he says this, as obedient children, do not, so here's the next command that Peter gives, therefore, and he says, do not be conformed this is an interesting Greek word. It's uh, two words put together that mean with and scheme. Like, it's like actually the Greek word schemata, right? Uh, it's with scheme. So conform. To conform yourself to something is to align yourself according to a scheme of things. Okay? It's kind of, you know what I thought of when I thought of this? You ever had like a, uh, on your phone, some of you are like, I don't have a smartphone. It's okay. 
shut down for one second. For those of you who have the smartphone, you know, sometimes you get these themes and it changes everything according to a certain pattern. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or for those of you who are like, I don't know what you're talking about, Matt. How about this? Sometimes when you go into a home, right, a new home, you have a new house, and you go, I'm going to go with a theme. My wife, what, what do you call a theme in our house? You call it something. Vintage farm. Got some wood. Got some, got some wood floors. Got some old signs, right? And it, and it carries throughout. You guys know what I'm talking about at least, though? This is what conform. And notice Peter says this. Don't get conformed. Don't go with the theme, right? Do not be conformed to the passions, the wants, the desires of what? Your former ignorance. Let me put it this way. Don't get shaped by what you want. Specifically, the wants that are connected to your former ignorance. Now, ignorance is not the word stupidity. Former ignorance, the ignorance is what? Yeah, not knowing. So there was a time before where you didn't know. Now you know what Jesus did. And Peter says, don't be conformed. Don't be shaped by the wants that you had when you were still ignorant, is what it says. So don't be shaped by your passions, desires, lusts, wants, all in that former ignorance before you knew who Jesus was. Don't get shaped by want. Now that you are out of your ignorance, your wants ought not to define you. I'm going to say it again because I think it's important and I think it's building. So I hope that we're building a little bit here. Now that you're out of your ignorance, your wants ought not to define you. I think this is really important. Because there's things that we want, and as a Christian, I've struggled before because I thought those. I thought when I became a Christian, I would stop wanting. You ever thought that before? Stop wanting that. There must be something wrong with me because I still kind of want that thing. And I'm reading this here, and I'm telling you right now, Peter doesn't say you're going to stop wanting. He says those wants are there. I mean, he deals with them as if they're a present reality in your head. And all he says is this, don't be conformed. Don't let those wants shape you. Think about that. For me, that's, that helps with the hope aspect because I go, okay, so I can in this middle time before I'm, the grace is fully revealed, but after this, this moment where I've realized salvation, there's this time right here where I, I have those wants that I remember from before, and Peter's call is to just don't let them shape you. So they're in there. Don't let them shape who you are. I'm going to come back to that. That's going to be an important thought as we go through and we unfold. This is a foundational idea here as we start this next series. So get serious. Hope eternal. Don't be shaped by what you want. Instead, we're going to say instead because the very next word is going to be the word but. 
And it says this, but as he who called you is holy, literally, but as the holy one, right, who called you, but as he who called you is holy, you also, here's the next command Peter says to do, that's based on this therefore, don't do those things, instead do this, be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, Peter says, and he quotes something from the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word holy, remember, means what? Do you remember what I said a minute ago? Set apart. Now think about this for a minute. Let me give you another word that's also the same word that's translated holy, translated set apart, translated sanctify. There's another word that we see sometimes. It's the word saint. Have you heard that word? You could literally, be, you could literally read this as this. When it says be holy, you could really, literally read this as be a saint in your behavior. Now think about the verse. Is that not what it's saying right here? Be holy in all of your what? Conduct. So be sacred, be set apart, uh, be holy for special use and purpose, kept clean, just like holy things, holy people. In what? Just so there's no confusion, he says, in all of your conduct, your behavior. Now, this is right at the middle of, so I'm leading up, and this is right at the middle of this preface thought for my, my new series. Be holy. I think that Christians in the world we live in today have lost this idea. We have latched on so much to God's grace, which is so important. It reveals itself in odd ways. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, there was a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about Corinthians, and uh, I brought up... Wouldn't you like to be a whole new you? Do you guys remember that message? Some of you are like, nope. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, because I was thinking about what we're going to be in the end. And I, I, took, I had this assumption that most people would go, man, I would just, I'd love to, like if I could look back. In fact, I was reading uh, this, uh, I think it was Jerry Bridges just this last week, he was talking about the same thing. And, oh, gosh. He, he was about fell. Don't make fun of me. Uh, so he was talking about uh, how, there's just this assumption. And I had this assumption that most of us as Christians, we look back over our life and go, man, I got a lot of regrets. I got a lot of things that I regret. I mean, there were sinful choices that I've made in my life. And I have some regrets. And I, I, I long for the day that even though I know I've been cleaned uh, spiritually, like God has declared me righteous, I long for the day to, to not be this guy anymore. I feel like I come up, I constantly struggle with my own shortcomings. And I go, man, and, and, and there's just this assumption I had, but I've realized that a lot of people, they've, instead of going, man, I, I long to be what God eventually is going to make me to be, they've embraced so much, and I, I think there's some wisdom to it. I get where they're coming from. They've embraced so much their weaknesses that they've just decided, I, I'm fine with keeping them. I'm not. They don't define me. 
The, the weaknesses I have don't define who I am. And that's what Peter's talking about. Because you know that you've been saved, you can no longer, don't let it, don't be conformed by what you want. Those passions that you had from your former ignorance. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed. This is what Peter's talking about. And what it looks like, he says, is right here. Be holy. And I think Christians, many, many Christians that I know and meet, people that claim to be, people that are in churches, people that are not in churches but still claim to be Christians, they all, this has become lost in the mix. That God actually does, in the middle of His grace, still look at us and say, be holy people. When Christ came and he worked that, he did not come and say, now you can just do whatever you want. In fact, the stakes, I think, are even higher, as you're going to see in this passage in just a second. I think that's been lost, that we are called as Christians to be different, to be set apart, to be holy people. We're called to be that. Verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, which is a very odd statement for those of you that have latched onto the grace of Jesus Christ, that, that is, it's, you're saved by faith and not by works, and you've taken that works idea and you've chucked it into the trash can, and so you read a verse like this and it's, it seems odd to you, unless you have a bigger view of Scripture, that this actually does fit into God's grace. If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's what? Deeds. What ought you to do? Here's the next command. Flowing from that last one. Conduct yourselves. I really liked this word, conduct. I, I get the picture in my head of like a conductor. Don't you? Directing. It's, it's the idea that's here. Conduct, direct yourselves. Which is weird, because I usually don't think about myself as directing myself. But that's it, literally what it says. Direct yourself. And I start to get an idea here. So there's, there's this old way that, 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 that lives according to what I want. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want, to, I want this. I want to do this. And it's great when your wants line up with good things, but it, it turns out pretty sour when your wants line up with bad things. Or destructive things or things that are hurtful to others, or what if your wants don't line up with somebody else's wants, and there's conflict, right? There's a different way, though, when you're freed from this former ignorance, that you ought to, instead of living by those passions, you ought to instead, like this idea of conduct, there's, this word can actually mean like take the reins of your life. And start steering. Which is so interesting because I think for most of you, if you think about it, you kind of feel that way. Like you're, you're, you're living your life. And I just don't know how I ended up in this situation. And I don't know. And then I ended up over here. And I don't know why. And then I, then I did this. Like, like you're, and, and so many, like 
you can take, the, take a hold of the reins of your life. I think on one level, just because of the fact that we're not an animal. Right? You're not an animal. You, you don't have to behave according to instinct. You can, just by the very fact that you bear the image of God, even before you're a Christian, just by the very fact that you bear the image of God, you're a thinking, rational human being in God's image that can say, I'm going to choose to go against what I feel like doing. People that don't know Jesus at all sometimes feel like punching people in the face and they choose not to do it. At DHS, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> Day of high school, we got a lot of kids that go, I feel like punching them in the face, so that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay? That, that does happen. But I've talked to kids that don't know Jesus at all, but they go, man, I really wanted to, but I didn't. Okay, so there, there's that reality. But, the, but Peter adds a whole other level to this, that we as these rational human beings have now been freed from the ignorance that there is something bigger, and that we're setting our hope that God is going to, by His grace, make us into something else, free from imperfection. He says, be holy, as God is holy, be holy, be set apart. And he says, to conduct, guide yourselves, grab the reins, with fear. Again, this is a word that for those of you that have just latched on to the, the, this loving grace of God, which I totally agree with, that word seems weird. Well, if God is by His grace, say, why would I ever be afraid of anything? Well, just to set you ill at ease, you need to reckon with this verse. Right? Because Peter, in, the, in light of salvation, he says you ought to conduct yourselves in fear. I mean, he just spent, like, how many verses, how many verses did we read? 3 through 11? Talk about how great salvation is. Peter, then after that, says, be holy and conduct yourselves in fear. In this, this time, as he calls it, of exile. It's not, it's not that theologians call us the, the, this time that we live in from where, where salvation has happened through Christ till the day that he comes back as the, some theologians call it the already but not yet. I love that mental picture. In so many ways, already but not yet. Has he worked it already? Absolutely he has, but not yet because I'm still me. <laughs> Let me... Read the next two verses, and then I'm going to give you the, the fifth point here. Um, knowing, okay, so conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, but based in a, a knowledge of something. It says, knowing, see, you're out of the ignorance, you're in something else. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, empty ways that were inherited from your forefathers, your genetic <laughs> way of being, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver and gold, though valuable, but instead with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, getting back to that holiness concept. Let me put it this way. I'm going to take the last half of verse 17 and first half of verse 18. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, this time that we live in. 
until you die, the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing, do this with knowledge, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, empty ways that you inherited. So let's put it this way. Direct yourself with reverent, that's that word fear, reverent knowledge. So get serious. Get serious. If you are sitting here, and I asked you earlier, who in this room believes that you're saved? So if you really believe that, here's what you ought to do if you understand salvation. Get serious with eternal hope. Don't be shaped by what you want. Instead, be a saint, holy, as your Father is holy. And let that be done as you are directed by reverent knowledge. Don't be shaped by what you want, but be directed by knowledge. Don't be shaped. How, do you, how, are, how are you going to be holy in this world? Don't be shaped by what you want, but be directed by reverent knowledge. Specifically the knowledge of what you were ransomed from empty ways. This left me with a question. I think it's one you need to ask. If you have been ransomed from those ways, but you find yourself, hey, here, let me paint a mental picture for you, right? Imagine, if you will, I'm up at the school doing my dean job. Let's say in the school, there, there's a kid who, man, he's just struggling with math. Anybody been there? Very near and dear to my heart. So this is not a far-fetched illustration. And that student says to me, even though I'm the dean now, they'd find out I used to be a math teacher, and I've had this happen. And they go, help! Help me! Help me! Mr. Harmels, help! That's not too far from how they say it sometimes. Help me! Right? And I say, oh, yeah, Absolutely. I say, what's the problem? I just, math, I'm struggling with it. I say, okay, well, come tomorrow to my office. I got some free time. I don't have some kids come down. You come to my office tomorrow and, and bring your stuff with you. I will help you, right? I've learned to do this, by the way, because when I jump right into help immediately, I've learned it doesn't always work. I do the you come see me for one particular reason. I want to know who really wants help. Some don't want help. They want to not be in math anymore. That's not going to change. I'm not even, I don't even have any control over that, right? That's government law. <laughs> you have to do that to graduate. 
I can help you. And I don't think I, I say this privately. I genuinely think I can. I think I'm really good at helping with math. I love math. I think I'm good at helping with it. I think I'm a professional math explainer. <laughs> 19 years of experience. I can do, I can help you with your math. But I found I cannot help the ones that are struggling with math if they don't really want help. There has to be some measure of desire to get out of that issue and to understand the math. You've got to have some of that there. It's got to be there a little bit. I think the same is true for many. I think the real question that many have to ask, many people that call themselves Christians ought to ask, because they would say that they're saved, but I think the question you have to ask is, do you even want to be saved from your sin? Because there are many that, that man, they don't like how the, the sin has affected them, but when help is offered, and they start to realize that the help is to live a holy life, they go, well, I don't know. Mm, I really want some help. All right, I don't want that. You have been freed, ransomed, bought with a price, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Paul puts it this way. He says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. And he says it this way, in your body. Same idea. Now there's hope, great hope, because God is going to reveal this grace in Jesus Christ one day. And there's going to be some, some direction to take. Like, okay, so how do we go this way? To be a holy person, how do we do this? Man, the Bible is so full of things. It almost overwhelmed me yesterday to where I couldn't even preach today. I was like, I don't even know where to go with this. There's so much help and hope in Scripture about how to go this way and how does it work and, and how God can direct you this and bring you this way. But I found it doesn't do any good unless you initially go, I want to be holy because of what Christ has done. If you're sitting here and you go, and I'm telling you, there's so many that go, I love what Jesus did, but it's not stirred me at all to change anything about who I am. I'm just happy because now I get to do whatever I want. And I get to go to heaven. I can live how I want to live. I would say that if, if you think that way, then you have no idea what Jesus has actually done for you. you, you, you you're so blind. So blind. You are called, Edgewood, people of Edgewood, people sitting here, you are called, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called to be holy, to be saints in this world. That's your calling. That's your calling. That's, that's the goal. I want you to walk out of here today. This is what I hope. I hope that you walk out of here today going, 
How am I going to do that? How, be holy? Be a saint? I mean, your goal is so that people out there in the world, they look at you, just like Peter, and they go, oh, Saint Peter. They ought to be looking at you, Saint, fill in the blank with your name. I want you to walk out of here today going, how am I going to do that? How in the world can I, I mean, I, I cleaned up some things, but I kind of, to be honest, I did those because they were kind of ruining my life. But God has called you to so much more. And I want you to walk out of here today. I want you to walk out of here today going, what am I supposed to do to be holy? Because you can't get away from the fact that Peter said, therefore, because of what Jesus did, therefore, be holy. I mean, if, if there's nothing else that you walk away from today, read 1 first, first Peter chapter 1 and go, Peter says, if you know what Jesus did, I, you need to be holy. If you know that he saved you, then you need to be holy. I need to be holy. How am I going to do that? I want to tell you right now, that there's so much I want to talk about today, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stop right there. This is just the preface. Ever notice a book does this sometimes with the preface? They just want to get you going because they want you to read that so that you'll read the rest of the book. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I want you to walk out of here going, I'm not holy. I need to be holy. I'm supposed to be holy. What do I do? I want you to come back next week like, okay, Matt, give us something. <laughs> give us something. Oh, man, that what, I got, what I'm thinking about for next week is so good. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to say what it is. So good. It's full of hope. Full of hope and promise for your, your personal holiness that you can do this because of Christ. I believe it. There's not any one of you in this room that has any sin that is so insurmountable that you can't escape it and become the person that God has called you to be and get one step closer to that grace that's going to be revealed. Absolutely am confident 100% that every single one of you in this room right now can be saints in this world. I don't care what you bring to the table. I don't care what's happened in your past. I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care what your weaknesses are. I don't care your shortcomings, your failures. I don't care how many times you've fallen down. It didn't make a lick of difference to me. I'm convinced by what the scripture says and what I'm going to share with you in the coming weeks that you can be a saint in this world. You can be holy in this world. It can be a realized hope. And if you've given up aiming for that, I encourage you to come next week. I encourage you as well to be praying this week, God, help me first of all to, to, to strive for that. But Lord, then open my eyes to know what... Actually, can we do this? Pray for me this week. Right? Pray for me, Lord, because... I need it. I need it. Say, Lord, could you give Matt the wisdom to know the next piece of this puzzle? To be holy. I've got some ideas. I know what I have planned, but I want God to direct the next step. 
what's going to make the most sense and what's going to be beneficial to you so that when you come back next week and you hear and you go, oh, I want light bulbs coming on, understanding to happen. I'm going to close today with this, as we always do. Because I think that right at the core of all these things, in fact, it goes back to the beginning of it. Isn't this what uh, Peter just said, thinking about all the things that Jesus did? What do we do this for? To do this in what? Remembrance. So let's hold everything and think back. Jesus Christ came to this earth when he was with his disciples after he had lived a righteous life. He tells his disciples... I'm going to fulfill what they've been talking about for thousands of years. The salvation of God's people. And he's going to do it with himself. He's going to fill in the picture. Things we were talking about in Exodus, right? All the way back. Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill it all. He says to his disciples, he says, this bread that they've been taking, Passover bread, that they, that for generations, was a tradition. And then he, and then he tells them, this, this bread, this is my body. Now, all those years, those, those, those Jewish people had been breaking that bread, picking it up, break the bread. Jesus finally says, that, that's just been a picture of what I'm getting ready to do. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he hands it out to partake. He says, this, this cup, this represents a new covenant in my blood. He hadn't shed it yet when he said that, but he was getting ready to, right? This cup represents, right? The new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this to remember me. So that's what we do today. We think back to what Christ has done on the cross. The body, physical body, on the cross, nails, blood shed, Last breath, it's finished. In a tomb, raised again, let it sink in. Peter says in the passage we looked at, that because of this, be holy. Somehow the thought of what Christ has done for us ought to spur us on to live holy, righteous lives, not to become lazy in His grace.